today's message is titled Grace Day by Day. Grace Day by Day. I want you to take your life with Jesus day by day in grace. Day by day, not performing, not trying really, really, really hard, not doing your absolute best. No, no, no. Day by day by grace. So Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. Check out this verse of scripture. I'm going to read it from the NIV. The NIV says it like this. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See to it that no one misses the grace of God. I, I want you to understand how strange that this verse is. Because this is a book, Hebrews, is a book written to Christians. It is written to people who are already in the house, who are already in Christ. How do we get into the house? We get into the house by grace. We get into the family of God by grace. And he says to people who are already in the family of God by grace, Make sure you people who got here by grace don't miss the grace of God. How is that possible? How is that possible if I came into the family of God by grace that I could then be in the family of God by grace and miss the grace of God? And I want to say something, and we're going to cover this for the message, that it is a very sad reality. It's a very sad reality that there are scores of men, women, and young people that come into churches just like this and churches all across America and churches all across the world every single week and they're missing on the grace of God. I'm not saying that they're not saved. I'm not saying that they're not Christian and I'm not saying that you know, their eternal, their eternal uh, life is in doubt. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that mentally and emotionally and in their spirit, they don't got grace. They don't capture the grace of God. Last week I said this in one of the services, it may have been this service, so I'm just going to repeat it if that's the case, but I'll say it today again. We falsely assume as Christians that grace got us in the door and it's our job to stay in the house. We falsely assume that Jesus made a way for us to come in and then it's our job to hold on really, really, really tight and make sure we never leave. Nothing could be further from the biblical truth. The biblical truth is that the grace of Almighty God is the one who saved you and got you in, and the grace of Almighty God is the one who sustains you and keeps you in. That's good preaching right there. And you missed it. But I'll forgive that one. God's grace is, is what sustains us in the house. And that's how it feels like home. So now, back to... Titus chapter 2. Let's go to Titus chapter 2. We're going to read this together, and we're going to talk about some grace in this place. Titus 2 verse 11. This was last week's message um, scripture. We'll read it again. Verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness 
and to purify for himself a people, for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. What a mouthful. I want to unpack it a little bit more today. Uh, First off, I want you to notice that in that entire passage of Scripture, not a single thing is mentioned about what we did to get here. Not a single thing is mentioned about what we need to do to stay here. Not a single thing is mentioned about what we need to do to make it all the way. Here's what the Bible is showing us in this passage. Now, don't get me wrong. There's plenty of things that we should be doing as Christians and we need to be doing as Christians. But this today is about what God has done. That's what we're talking about today. And if you look at that passage, you understand one thing is that God's grace is the changing training agent in our lives. I said it last week. Grace trains us. It teaches us. It instructs us. It, it makes us realize where we go wrong and blow it and then gives us a chance to get it right the next time. And, and it constantly changes and transforms our lives. And this is what I want you to write down if you are taking notes today. And if you're not taking notes, I want you to write this down. <laughs> Point number one, God takes responsibility for my development in grace. I am not the subject of this sentence. You are not the subject of this sentence. And your development in Jesus, good news, it's not all up to you. Good news, it's not all about what you can do for God. It is first and foremost and foundationally already about what Jesus has done for you. God started this thing. God is working on this thing. God's gonna finish this thing. I want to show you some passages that totally back me up. Just so you know, I'm preaching from the Bible. All right? Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 says this. I am sure of this, that he, Jesus, who began a good work in you, will bring it to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Jesus started it. Jesus is going to finish it. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 says, Jesus is the founder and the perfecter of our faith. Another version says it like this. He's the author and he's the finisher of our faith. It's Jesus in the beginning, it's Jesus in the middle, and it's Jesus at the end. Another verse of scripture, Psalm 138, verse eight. The psalmist says, the Lord will what? He will fulfill his purpose for me. I'm so glad about that. I'm so glad that it's not all up to me. I'm so glad that I don't have to be in the driver's seat of what God has in store for my life. And this is really, really great for those of you who think you missed it. <laughs> for those of you who are still living with regrets about your past and, and about how you think, oh, I really blew it. And if I hadn't made that mistake back then, then I'd probably be in the blessed glory land by now. But I really did. No, no. The Lord will fulfill his purpose, and God has a way of redeeming all the stuff that you messed up all along the way and using it for his glory and for his good. Amen, somebody? Amen. Uh, 1 Peter 5.10 says this, after you have suffered for a little while. How many of you love suffering? Exactly. Uh, he says, how after you have suffered for a while. You gotta realize that suffering in Christ is only temporary, and there's gonna be an after. And then he says this, after you've done that, God, God himself, it's not up to you. God will 
restore. Love these words. Look at these words. God will support you. God will strengthen you. And God will place you on a firm foundation. God will take and is taking responsibility for your development in grace. That's why we call this message good news. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Where do we get that term gospel from? Well, it comes from a Greek word. The Greek word is evangelon. Evangelon is two Greek words mashed up into one. And the two words are good news. The gospel of Jesus Christ, listen to me very carefully. The gospel of Jesus Christ is good news. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not to do's. Y'all with me on that one? Because that was like a rhyming thing, and I don't know if you missed that, but <laughs> did I blow you away with my rhyming? Because it's not what you do, it's what has been done. It's an announcement. The grace of God has appeared, and God is responsible for his children, and he wants what's best for you, and he's working on you, even in the times where you feel under the burden of life and sin and shame, because my Bible tells me that God's grace is greater than all sin. Where sin abounds, there grace much more abounds. Every single time when sin comes against grace, grace knocks it down. All right, I want to show you this in the Old Testament. There are two places in the Old Testament where the word grace appears. But in the Old Testament, the word that is used in the New Testament for grace is actually the word favor. When you read the Old Testament and you hear it say favor, I want you to think grace. Because most of the time, in the, the Old Testament's idea of favor is the New Testament's idea of grace. There are two places where this shows up. Two, there's a lot of places, but I want to show you two today. The first place is Genesis 39, verse 21. Uh, Joseph is in prison. Joseph, the favored son of Jacob, uh, who was betrayed by his brothers and then sold into slavery, hated by his brothers, sold into slavery, and then he was falsely accused of raping Potiphar's wife, and and then he lands up in prison for a crime he never committed. This is the prison of what other people had done to him. He is in prison because other people hated him, despised him, misused him, and abused him. And some people here today, that's exactly where you are. You're under the prison of what other people have done to you. You're under the prison of what other people have said about you, thought about you, pushed you around, kicked you around, whatever your dad did to you, whatever your granddad did to you, whatever your friends did to you, whatever your boss did to you, and you feel totally, completely dejected by all the things other people have done. But here's what happened to Joseph in the middle of his prison, in the middle of that horrible experience, in the darkness of that dungeon. It says this, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him his steadfast love. And gave him, what's the word? Grace. Favor, think grace. Grace in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And then the rest of the story goes that the Lord elevates him up to the top of that prison. And then the Lord gives him an opportunity to interpret two dreams. And the one dream, the person gets restored. And that guy looks out for Joseph. And he comes back up out of the prison and becomes second in command of all of Egypt. This is showing us, listen, it does not matter what other people have done to you. It matters what God is able to do in you. 
It does not matter what people have said about you. It matters that God has approved of you. It does not matter what other people have shoved you into, what other prison you have found yourself in because people have pushed you down and kicked you around. The good news is, is that the grace of God is with you and stronger in you than what anybody else can do on you. Good stuff. This is the power of God's grace. This is the power. I want you to think about it. Because we think, all oh, grace is just so he'll forgive me. No, no, no. There's a power to the grace of God. Second place. Second place is in this Exodus chapter 3, verse 21. Israel, the people of Israel, these are all the descendants of Jacob and Joseph, they are enslaved by Egypt. When you read Egypt in the, New, in the Old Testament, you need to think sin in the New Testament. Egypt is a symbol for sin. And so the people of Israel are enslaved by sin. They are enslaved by their own foolish choices. They stayed in Egypt. They shouldn't have stayed there, but they were enslaved. And Exodus chapter 3, God finds this guy named Moses, this failure, this guy who tried to deliver them on his own strength, and he failed, and he ran for his life, and he's out in the wilderness for 40 years, tending his father-in-law's sheep, and, and not wanting anything to do with Egypt anymore. And God finds him at the burning bush and has this moment to call Moses into delivering the people of Israel. Moses says, I can't, I can't. God says, you will, you will. God says, I stutter. Moses says, I stutter. I stutter. I can't. God says, I'll give you the words. Don't you worry about it. I made the mouth. I can fix the mouth. Amen. And so, and then God says, here's what I'm going to do, Moses. I'm not just going to deliver them from their slavery. I'm not just going to bring them out of Egypt. I'm going to bring them out with suitcases full of treasure. I'm going to bring them out with, with a bounty that is going to be the spoils of Egypt. And all the people of Israel will know that I'm the Lord their God who doesn't just save them, I prosper them too. And Exodus chapter 3, verse 21, this is what he says. And I will give this people, say it with me, favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go out empty. And that's exactly what happened. And so you need to understand that the Old Testament stories, listen, they are metaphorical illustrations of what is the reality in the New Testament. They definitely happen historically. Don't get me wrong. I believe every story in the Bible is historically true. But they are also metaphors, spiritual illustrations of our reality in Christ. So here's what God is saying. God is saying through these stories that no matter what other people do to you, and no matter what you do to you, God's grace is enough to deliver you. God's grace is the power to deliver you and free you and break you out of that situation that's got you down. And so when you go to Romans chapter six and Paul is talking about all these grace things about God, Romans chapter six, verse 14, he says, listen, listen, people of God, look, sin is no longer your master. Like Joseph was in that prison, like Israel was under that slavery. Sin had you bound. Sin had you in bondage, but is no longer in Christ your master, for you, are no, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Grace saves you and prospers you and empowers you to walk away from all that sin, shame, and junk of your old life. That's the power of God's grace. And so God takes responsibility. I love it. God takes responsibility. You know what this means? 
This means that you can take a deep breath and relax. Everybody with me, ready? Let's take a deep breath together, right? I didn't say let it out yet. Okay, let it out. <laughs> relax. Relax, Christian. Because so many of you are like, oh, I need to do better. Oh, I need, I just, oh. You came in this morning just kicking yourself. <laughs> uh, uh, I need to go to Waters Church because I really messed it up. Uh, you're just kicking yourself all through life. And I don't know why you're kicking yourself. I mean, you're giving the devil a leg up in your life. You're giving other people a leg up in your life. If you are in Christ, that means God chose you. God selected you. God plucked you out of all the bondage and shame of your past and who you are and has got a great and awesome and mighty plan for you. Let it go in the name of Jesus and live by God's grace. Relax. Relax. Listen, so important that we get this. So important that we understand that who we are is by the grace of God. Here's why. If your development in Christ is based on what you do, two things become, you become one of two things. The first is you become exhausted. You become exhausted because you're trying really hard and then you fail really bad. And you try really, really harder, harder, and you fail even harder, harder, harder. And you just can't ever get it right. And so, and, and this is the thing, you, the, 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 then you start to compare yourself to other people and think, man, they really got it going on. Oh my gosh, I could never be as good as that. Oh my Lord, I, I, I'm just not, I just don't, I have too many issues. I got too many things. And so you just exhaust yourself because you're always worrying about what more you need to do to get somewhere else. So you become exhausted. But the second one, the second possibility when you put all your eggs into your basket for making yourself better is that you become not exhausted, but you become exhausting. How many know some exhausting people? Okay, these are the people who actually think they made it. Well, I got myself here. Well, I just prayed really, really hard. <laughs> and the Lord did it, you know. Because God listens when I speak. And this, this, is the, this is the people that Jesus had the biggest problem with. When he walked the earth, he had the biggest problem, not with the people who were exhausted. No, no, no. He had the biggest problem with the exhausting ones, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. It wasn't that he didn't love them. It was that he was fed up with them. He was fed up with the fact that they thought they had made it and other people had to elevate themselves to their, to their level. And Jesus said, no, 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 you got it wrong. You need to practice mercy. You need to practice justice. You need to look out for other, other people who can't make it. And you need to watch yourself because just thinking that you made it is a sign that you got pride, which means you haven't made it. So get over yourself. And don't let your own selfish ways exhaust you or make you exhausting. Paul, the apostle, who wrote about a third of the New Testament, who wrote all these books, who wrote this book, Titus, said, I am the least of the apostles. In another place, he says, I am the worst of sinners. In another place, he says, I am the chief of sinners. Why was Paul always talking about how bad he was? Because he was reminding himself that who he was, the great things that he did, was by the empowerment, not of himself and his work, but of the grace of Almighty God. And that who you are is by God's grace. God takes responsibility for your development in grace. Isn't that good news? 
Number two, if you're taking notes, I need to believe better before I try harder. I need to believe better, not just try harder. Do you remember there was a fad in the church, in the Christian church, I think it was like worldwide, in the 1990s, maybe late 90s, early 2000s, it was a fad. It was called, what would Jesus do? You remember because you're moaning. (laughs) What would Jesus do, right? We had the bracelets, right? We had the bumper stickers, what would Jesus do? We had the, the signs on, on our door, on our refrigerator stickers. We had a, a plaque on our, on our living room uh, uh, wall. What would Jesus do? We had, we had T-shirts. We had underwear. What would Jesus do? Right? We had onesies for our infants. What would Jesus do? Kid can't control his bowels, but we're believing for what would Jesus do. Amen. And we didn't even realize. Nobody realized how ludicrous the whole idea was. Ludicrous. I'm not saying you shouldn't try to do what Jesus would do and you should listen to Jesus and what he said and everything he said is true. But listen, you can't do what Jesus would do. You can't do it. Because everybody like thinks, I'll do it, I'll do it. This is so easy. That's, that's simple. Thank you for narrowing it down to one simple thing. All I gotta do is what would Jesus do? And then you go to work and somebody is a jerk to you and immediately you don't wanna do what Jesus would do. In fact, you want to punch him in Jesus' name, (laughs) right? (laughs) And you oftentimes don't do what Jesus would do without even thinking about it because you can't in and of yourself do what Jesus would do. And the gospel message, this book is not pointing out what would Jesus do. This book from Genesis to Revelation is telling us not what would Jesus do, but what did Jesus do? W-D-J-D, if you want a bracelet or a t-shirt. What not? I'm not saying, listen, and, and, and please don't think that I'm saying you got to ignore what Jesus said. No, that's not what I'm saying. I am saying that you have to first look at what he already did for you. You have to understand that the gospel message, good news, is not pick yourself up by your bootstraps, try harder, Work, study, 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 pray, 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 fast, 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 and then you'll finally make it. That's not what it is. You can't do what Jesus would do apart from understanding truly what Jesus already did for you. Gospel, power, message. So what did Jesus do? Titus chapter two tells us in verse 13, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to, what's that word? Redeem us from all lawlessness. Redeem is a financial term. Redeem is a financial term. One of, the, one of my favorite things is a Dunkin' Donuts coupon for a free coffee. I love the simple pleasures, praise God. If you wanna bless your pastor, Dunkin' Donuts coupon. Free coffee, not one of those 99 cent deals, all right? after 2 p.m. for a decaf only. All right, I'm talking about, I'm talking about free and clear. I love it because they'll rack up that price when I order that coffee. How many know $2.79 for a nice coffee is ridiculous, but we do it anyway because we're devoted followers. And 
I love, I love walking up to that counter and I love seeing those numbers go from 279, boom, zero. Boo yeah. It's the small victories that keep me going. I mean, <laughs> I'm a simple man, all right? But I love seeing those numbers go to zero because I got that ticket, that coupon, and I redeem the coupon. And that coupon changes the record. Listen to me. Jesus is the coupon that God laid down for you. You understand that you were racking up the prices with your actions, with your sin, with your attitude, with all the things that you did and all the things that you're gonna do. You would racked up a huge debt and there was, one, there was no way you were ever going to pay that debt. There was no way I was ever going to pay that debt. But God walked up to that counter and made a cosmic exchange. And he put his son down on the cross. And then he brought him back up from the grave. And he took all of our sins and wiped that number clean. And now we are free indeed in Jesus' name. By the redemption of Jesus. Now, this is, this is great to truly know, but it changes everything about who we are. Because now that we know that we are redeemed, it means this. We no longer belong to ourselves. I belong to him. I'm his. To be redeemed means that I am the possession of Jesus Christ. And my life is now in his hands. And so I got to trust him with that. And I got to be okay with what he gives me. And I got to be glad about the fact that, that he has chosen me and, 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 and positioned me where I am in life. And this also means that Jesus did not primarily come to be an important historical figure. And Jesus did not primarily come to establish a new religion. And Jesus did not come to inspire us to try better. Jesus Christ came to pay for you, to redeem you. And Paul goes on. From what? From all lawlessness. The New Testament has three words for sin. Okay, one of them is sin, one of them is trespass, and the other one is lawlessness. All right, some of them are called iniquity, but this is lawlessness here. Lawlessness is not a state of doing. Lawlessness is a state of being. And here's what Paul is saying, that, that Jesus Christ didn't just give himself to you to pay for your sins. He gave himself to free you from your sinfulness, your lawlessness, that you are born bent towards sin. And every single one of us is. How many remember those commercials from the 19, I think it was the 1990s, uh, the V8 commercials? I love those commercials. I gotta set this up. And the person would be walking around. Remember this? Walking around. Ooh, doo -doo -doo -doo. All through life on this bent angle. And everybody would turn to him and say, looks like you haven't had your V8 today. Yeah, you remember those commercials. That's our life before Christ. Walking around bent towards sin. Bent towards doing wrong. Bent towards hurting others. Bent towards hurting ourselves. In the words of the very popular theologian, Lady Gaga, <laughs> we are born this way. <laughs> I agree with her there. She's absolutely right. We are born this way. Where she kind of diverges from the biblical account is that we aren't meant to celebrate being born that way. We, need, we were born wrong. Amen? Born wrong. Anybody who's had children knows this. I don't know where this came from. This is not what I was expecting when I said, Lord, give me a child. Because this is a demon baby. I don't know what it is. 
looks normal, right? They wake you up in the middle of the night. They got no concern for you. They're demanding. They're hostile. They spit up in the middle of a conversation. Then they grow up to become two-year-olds. Does it get any better? No, it gets worse. Then they become teenagers. Then you're about ready to kill them. All right, you've lived long enough. That's enough. Everybody, you don't have to be, you don't have to be a Christian. In fact, this is the one part of the Bible that even atheists agree with. We're all born wrong. There's something inherently wrong with the human race. And you don't even have to believe in Jesus to truly, to truly know that. But here's what the Bible teaches us. Jesus didn't just come to pay for our sins. All right? Jesus came to break us free from our sinfulness. The reason why you sin is because you're sinful. And if you start believing better, if you start realizing that Jesus broke the power of sin over your life, you'll start living better. I guarantee it. I guarantee you got to start believing before you start doing. Uh, as the old hymn says like this, he breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood avails for me. I need to believe that. Not only did he, did he release me from the power of sin, but here's what he says in the second half of the verse. He gave himself, verse 14, to purify for himself a people of his own possession, who are, for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. This word purify, very interesting word in the Greek. The word Greek, the Greek word for purify is katharizo. Katharizo. It sounds like two English words. I'm going to share them with you because it, these two English words come from this Greek word katharizo. The first one is cathartic. Cathartic. What does catharsis mean? It's something that you do to relieve your stress. So we will do pottery or we'll paint or we'll write or we'll do something artistic to relieve our stress, to get rid of fear and worry and all this emotional baggage. This is good stuff. Jesus gave himself. Jesus is God's masterpiece artwork to relieve us of the stress and the emotional basket cases that we really are. <laughs> he purifies us from that. He is the... He is the spiritual catharsis at ease. Take a deep breath, Christian. He's cleansing you, right? There's another word, uh, and I don't want to go too deep into this, but we also get the word catheter from catharizo. <laughs> Again, I don't want to go deep into this at all, but you understand what it means now. It means that Jesus takes the waste out of your life. He takes the trash out of your life, and it is a progressive process. You say, Pastor, I know, I understand, you sounds great, and I, all these people are clapping and saying amen, but I, I got a lot of stuff there. Give it time. Stay with Jesus. He has a way of cleansing you through the process of sanctification and change, and it happens. As you believe, you gotta start telling yourself, I know I got some things going on, but thank God it's not up to me to change it all. I know I got some issues with my, my temper. I know I got some issues with lust. I know I got some prideful stuff going on in there. But thank God Jesus Christ who saved me is gonna complete me. And you start putting your faith in that, it'll start changing how you live. It's like, it's like jet fuel. I mean, it just propels you 
to understand it's not all up to you and God is for you, not against you. And, and he who gave his own son for you, how much more, the Bible says, will he give you all things? Amen. God is for you. And I need to believe it. I need to believe better before I start trying harder. Number three, and finally, if you're taking notes, God's grace energizes me for goodness. Energizes me for goodness. By God's grace, I am energized. <clears throat> Paul concludes this whole passage in Titus 2 with these words. That he gave himself to purify for himself a people who are, say that word with me, zealous for good works. God, God's grace energizes you for good works. Let me unpack what that means. Because most of us think, all right, I gotta do some good works now. Okay, no, 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 no. listen. If you're a believing Jew on the island of Crete where this book was written to, a pastor on the island of Crete, and you're a believing Jew, and the gospel first went to believing Jews in the New Testament. So um, you know that according to the law, according to Leviticus, that wonderful book that we all love to read through every week, right? that you know you gotta go to Jerusalem and offer a certain number of sacrifices regularly. So you gotta get up into a boat, you gotta go across the Mediterranean Sea, you gotta land in Israel, travel across the land to Jerusalem, go up to the temple with all your sheep, all your cattle, all your dove, all your stuff that you're gonna sacrifice at the temple for your sins. And not just that, but you got to pack enough sheep, doves, and cattle, not just for your sins, but for your wife's sins. And not just for your wife's sins, but for your teenage son's sins. Hello, somebody. <laughs> and you gotta, you got to offer all these sacrifices. And not only that, you got to do that every single year. And not only that, but you got to travel up to, the, to Israel three times a year to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of, I mean, that is the same feast, the Feast of, the feast of First Fruits and the Feast of Passover. you got to travel to Jerusalem three times a year just to keep up with the demands of the sacrificial system. How exhausting would that be? And then this guy, Paul, shows up on your island, and he tells you, i got good news for you. God's final lamb went up to the temple, was sacrificed on Passover. His blood was shed, and he rose up again on the day of first fruits. And he is the culmination, the fulfillment of all those Old Testament sacrifices. Jesus is the final once and for all sacrifices for your sins. Amen. Good news, everybody on the island of Crete. You no longer have to travel to Jerusalem. You no longer have to pack up all those sheep and goats. Now you can eat them. <laughs> you don't have to sacrifice for your son's sins. You don't have to, well, what do we got to do? What do we got to do? Believe. Whoa, 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 whoa. That, no, 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 hold on a second. I, I'm used to working hard for this thing. No, no, no. Believe on the son of God who gave himself for you and set you free from that legal code. I want you to think about this. How energizing would that be? to realize that all that work that you used to have to do to make sure that this relationship between you and God is once and for all settled and you no longer have to work to keep this alive, that, that Jesus did it and on the cross, he didn't say, it's halfway there. He didn't say, we're 75% of the way, Father. 
I'll believe in them for the last 25%. He said, it is finished. And the work was accomplished. And there's no need to ever sacrifice for your sins again. And that you are released. Now, you got all this energy. You got all this emotional stuff now that is taken care of. And you are energized to live by the, from the grace and acceptance of Almighty God. When this is taken care of by faith in Jesus Christ, this can be empowered to other people. Energized. Now, I don't love my neighbor as I love myself so that God will accept me on Sunday morning when I show up to Water Church. No, 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 no. That's already taken care of. Now I love my neighbor as I love myself simply because I know how much God loves me. Now, now it's no longer, oh, I gotta go to Water Church this week. Why? Well, because I had one of those weeks. <laughs> All right, I gotta get there, you know. I gotta show God that I still love him. I gotta make sure he's aware that I'm still here just in case something goes bad next week, right? When it's no longer about that. It's no longer, I, I gotta make sure that, hey God, you know, hey, pay attention. I'm down here doing some good stuff for you. Will you just give me a little love down here? Can you just give me a couple of favors? I just need to get out of a couple of jams, please, Lord. No, it's no longer like that. That's taken care of at the cross and at the empty grave and it's finished and it's settled and it's done and you don't have to work for it and nothing you do makes God love you more and nothing you don't do makes God love you less. That is settled. Now you can live from that and love other people from the grace and love God has poured out into your life. <laughs> Energizing. Energizing. Because the Bible says, the Bible says we love because he first loved us. We live from grace. We're accepted. I think I need to just illustrate this a little bit because some of you are not catching it. <laughs> On Wednesday when it snowed, I was bummed. I was massively bummed. Not just because I hate snow, as much as I hate snow, but because I have a snowblower from hell. <laughs> I'm serious. It says, from hell, on the sticker. <laughs> Manufactured in Hades, okay? <laughs> I'm telling you, this thing is a nightmare. And every time I, I, I gotta snow blow my, 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 my driveway, I have to pull start that thing, which is the first adventure. Then while it idles to warm up to get to the part where it actually can blow snow, I actually have to wait about 30 to 40 minutes. This is not an exaggeration. I go inside, I have dinner, I put my kids to bed. <laughs> Right with Cheryl, we watch some TV. Then I go outside and I snow blow after the thing is sufficiently warmed up. If anybody's looking to bless their pastor, <laughs> Dunkin' Donuts coupons and snow blowers. Um, and, and, I have to, and I was just, on Wednesday, I was just like, oh, Lord, I just don't want to go home. I just don't want to deal with that stinking snow blower from hell. And so I got an idea. I called a snow plow guy. I said, I'm done with that. So I called a guy on Craigslist. Hallelujah for Craigslist. 30 bucks shows up. I'm not even at the house. The guy shows up at my house, plows me out in 20 seconds. <laughs> Would have taken me four hours. Not only that, he got out of his truck and he shoveled the walkway for me. I'm like, 
bonus. And I get out of my, uh, and, and then Cheryl calls me and she sends me a picture of it done. And I'm like, oh, hallelujah. I'm telling you, it was like a conversion experience. I'm not kidding you. I go home, I pull into my driveway, nothing to worry about. I walk freely up into my house, open the door, and I suddenly realize I got all this energy. I got all this energy because I was planning all day long to have to shovel that snow and, and, and snow blow that snow. And so I got on the floor with my son, Jakey, and I got on the floor in his bedroom, and we started playing dinosaurs. And the time that I would have spent snow blowing my driveway... I was spending time with my son, had all this energy. And the Lord spoke to me at that moment because he speaks to me in the shower and on Jake's floor. <laughs> and he said, and he said, this is what the cross means. God took the snow of your sin away. He dealt with that. It's finished. It's done. He plowed through so that you could walk straight into the home of faith and come in just as you are and be freely accepted. And now, because this relationship is settled and done and finished at the cross, now you have energy to enjoy life and love other people in the name and in the power and in the grace of Jesus Christ. That's what the cross means. That's what the cross means.